I've titled this, The Lord and His Charges. You heard when a minister gets ordained that he is charged by a presbytery. That word is a biblical word. There are word charge shows up many times in these three books. And I'm going to go through a, a, a half a dozen or so of these particular verses as we speak to you today. Let's open up our Bible, and I want to show you something, that when we're talking about God's ministers, we want to know who God's minister's boss is. The Lord and Master, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what the, some of the description of Jesus Christ. As I stand in this pulpit, i got to realize that Jesus Christ is my boss. And this is what he's called just in the pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy 6.15, he's called our only potentate. He is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's one of his titles too, God manifest in the flesh. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one mediator between God and man, and uh, that is another one of his titles, the one and only mediator we have. 1 Timothy 4.10, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So when I get in the pulpit and I've got to realize my bo- my, who my boss is, my master, I realize it's Jesus Christ and those are some of his titles. Only potentate, king of kings, lord of lords, God manifest in the flesh, the only mediator between God and man, and the savior of all men. That's a pretty impressive title, isn't it? But sometimes people have fancy titles. So let's see what else he's got. Let's look at a few of his accomplishments. So a man may have titles, but maybe he doesn't have the accomplishments to back up the titles. I think Jesus does. Notice what it says in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Well, that's one of the things he's accomplished. Maybe he deserves those titles, huh? When I go to 1 Timothy 2.6, it says he gave himself a ransom for all. That's one of the things he accomplished and did for us. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. That's another thing Jesus did. In 2 Timothy 1.10, it says, But now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who hath abolished death. That's another thing he accomplished for us. In 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ. That's also pretty impressive. And I've got one more, Titus 2.14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. So we look at Jesus and we see he's king of king, lord of lords. He's got all those titles. We think, does he really deserve those titles? And the answer is yes. Notice what it says here. He saves sinners. He gave himself for answers. He saved us. He called us. He abolished death. We have salvation and it's only through him. And he gave himself and he redeemed us. So it sounds like those titles are worthy and he is a boss that's worth listening to. Amen? And taking direction. The next thing I'd like to do is I want to look at a few descriptions of the words that he said. 2 Timothy 1.8 Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. His words are called his testimony. Well, you got the testimony of a regular man. You go, oh, that's nice. But you got the testimony of a man that's king of kings, lord of lords, God manifest in the flesh. You go, maybe I ought to pay attention to him. 
In 2 Timothy 1.10, it says, It is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We look at his story, the gospel, and what that gospel does is it brings life and immortality to light. Do you understand? It doesn't say it brings life, it brings it to light, which is pretty important. We wouldn't know if we didn't have the gospel. 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the word. We see that his word was preached to Gentiles and believed upon. So it can be effective even to non-Jews. And then finally, in Titus 1.3, due times, manifested his word through preaching, which was committed unto me. So we hear that word through preaching. And then there's two more descriptions. In 1 Timothy 6.3, his words are called wholesome words. And in 2 Timothy 1.13, it's called sound words. So as I give you these charges that are going to be coming up in a few minutes, we've got to realize who's the boss that gave the charges, what he did that gives him the authority and the um, respect that we ought to heed those charges. And we look at the description of his words, which include those charges, and they're pretty important. Now, one more thing to talk about our Lord and Savior. I want to talk about his hope. Or a lot of times when I use hope, I think of his promises. This thing, first thing we find out that in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead. Now, we can go through the Bible and we find nine other accounts recorded in Scripture of people raised from the dead. But guess what happened to those other nine? They died again. He was raised from the dead, and it took. In 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed, and received up unto glory. Not only was he raised from the dead, he was received up into glory. That's my boss. That's your boss. Okay. 1 Timothy 6.14, That thou keep his commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did he go raise up unto glory and was received unto glory, but scripture says he's coming back. Y'all, that's our hope. 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. There is a promise of life, and when he does come back, he's going to scoop up his children. When I came in, Brother Brandon was making fun of my outline. He says, you just used all the verses in First and Second Timothy. Well, it has a lot to say about Jesus Christ. I want to start heading towards the, the under-shepherds. These are the ministers, the servants of God. Now, a lot of times in Scripture they're called stewards, and a lot of times they're called shepherds. They're really... A lot of parallels between those two words, and both of them aptly describe uh, who the minister is. But I want to show you real quick that when there is such a thing, that it is a person called by God. And they're called by God to do the things that he has charged. They're not called to popularity. They're not called to majority. They're not called by consensus. They're called by God. In 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not an apostle of the church. He's an apostle in the church, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
In 1 Timothy 1.12, it says he was put into the ministry by Jesus Christ. When I go to 2 Timothy 2.3, now I'm switching from Paul, what Paul was describing of himself as he's talking to his son in the ministry, and he's telling him, now as a minister, thou therefore, this is in 2 Timothy 2.3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So a minister is to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says a good minister is supposed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if you're doing the job right, you probably will suffer persecution. Let's go to some of these charges. Now, when you think of the word charge... I'm going to refer to it as we use it in a ordination. We, we give a charge. It is not a financial transaction where you owe money. It is not a person given to your authority where you say someone is a guardian and I've got some ex child in my charge. That's not what it is. It is a um, uh, directive. It's a command. And these are charges, and there are several charges that are given just to the ministry, but also in there, there's a few charges that are given to not only ministers, but to non-ministers also. So 1 Timothy 1.3, here's the first one that I want to look at. As I besought thee to abide at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. One of the charges that you're going to get as a minister is, is the word, the whole word, and nothing but the word. That's it. People are going to become discontent with the word, and they're going to want other things. Even he warned his brother, his, his brother Timothy. He says, you know, people are going to have itching ears. They're going to get tired. Oh, the Bible, the Bible, the, that's old-fashioned. That doesn't apply anymore. Yes, the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. First Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now, notice that this charge, it says the prophecies on thee, that's talking about the Old Testament. He was taught the scriptures from a little boy, from mama, from grandma, and also from the, the, the priests. And these are the prophecies. This is The Bible is a book of, book of prophecy. Those prophecies went before those, and it's by those you go into battle. When you look at um, the weapons of our warfare, those seven elements in Ephesians chapter 6, I always stress that, that three out of the seven are talking about the Word of God. That's important. First Timothy six thirteen and 14. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, okay, I want you to preach the Word, but I also want you to obey and conform to the Word. That's the third charge that we're looking at today. Okay, the first one is teach no other doctrine. Use it to defend. And the other thing was obey it. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word. And if you'll notice after that, it says in season, out of season, I want you to preach the word. I want you to preach the whole word and nothing but the word. Now, I want you to think about it. What does the word entail? It entails everything that you'll need in life, encouragement and rebuke. 
um, someone told me earlier this week that they decided to read the Bible through this year. Instead of starting in Genesis and going right through Exodus and keep on going that way, they decided to read the Bible as it was written chronologically. Now, the way our Bible is, is, is uh, divided up, there are a bunch of history books, and they're all grouped together. And there's a bunch of um, poetry, and those books are grouped together. And then there's all those prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And there's nothing major or minor, just some are longer than the others. One aren't any more important than the other. But those are all grouped together. And then there's the epistles, and then there's the church epistles, and then there's the pastoral epistles, and there's personal letters. So they're grouped together and not necessarily written in the order they were written. So this particular person was written, and most people believe that Job was the first book ever written. So Job was read first, and they just kept on going through chronologically. And they were telling me that as they re- I've never done it that way, and I probably might, may next year I might even try to tackle it that way. But if this one person was telling me as they read it that way, she was just sobbing. Didn't Israel get it? God sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, please stop this crazy behavior. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to have to do this. And it just makes you weep when you realize in the order. And then he had to do it all over again over the next hundred years for Judah. He did it for Israel, then he did it for Judah. When will you learn? So here were some ministers that those minor prophets had to preach the word. And they had to preach of things coming. Here's a few charges to non-elders. Non-elders. 1 Timothy 5.16 If any man or woman that believed have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. In other words, he charged the ministers, but also the people of the church, to take care of and relieve the widows. And that would include widowers also. In 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge thee there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, and thou observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. In other words, don't play favorites. No, treat everybody the same. Older, younger, it doesn't matter. Blue collar, white collar, it doesn't matter. We treat them all the same. That's another charge. First. Timothy 6.17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. What he's doing, he's preaching against pride or being uh, confident in your bank account. Preach against that. Okay, charge them not to take confidence in that. And it also could be letters after your name if it's an education or a powerful degree or, or, or a certain talent that you have. You can fill in the blank with anything. Your good looks, your athletic prowess. There's a lot of things you could put in there. Second uh, Timothy 2.14, Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. In other words, that's people playing word games. Don't let people play word games. So now that I've done all this, I want to give you an example. And I really struggled. Who, who would be a good person to use an example for someone with all these charges? And I ended up picking Moses. You're thinking, Moses, he's not even in the New Testament. He's not even a New Testament preacher. Why on earth would you pick Moses? Well, the first thing is I, I, I think about Moses 
is in some cases he was both, he was a literal shepherd, but he was also a steward. And in many ways he was a pastor. And um, he did some good. He did some things pretty wrong. Matter of fact, he did not finish well, which scares the daylights out of me. But he was a good man. He's in the hall of faith. He's a child of God. But at the very end, God said, no, you lost your cool. And, and we're going to read it three cases in Moses' life. There's one where God got mad at the people. And Moses changed God's man mind, right? That's a good one for Moses. There's another time where the people were being rebellious. And God and Moses got mad. And it didn't turn out well for the people. But the third time, Moses got mad, and God didn't. And you know what? I am having a real hard time telling the difference between the third and the first two. Okay? What's the difference? When he got mad in the second account versus when he got mad in the third account. What's the difference? There's times where you're supposed to get i got to tell you this story too, okay? I'm going to tell my granddaughter. Yesterday, Deborah came in, which she always does on a set. What are you preaching about tomorrow? So she gets the practice run. And, and we were watching the Grands yesterday, and Mary was sitting at the table eating some, some, a banana. I think she was eating a banana. And I was talking to her, and I said the statement, God got mad. Grandpa, did God really get mad? I said, yeah. And she said, no, God doesn't get mad. I said, yeah, God got mad. Why did he get mad? And I said, well, there was a time where Israel decided to make a cow out of gold. She said, what's wrong with that? I said, nothing. But you know what they did? They started worshiping it. And they bowed down and they were praying to it and they were kissing it and just they were just in love with this cow. And she said, I don't understand. So I went into my bedroom and I got this statue of a giraffe. It's one that Lincoln got in Africa and brought home and I've got it in my bookcase. And I put the bookcase out there. I'm not the bookcase. I put the giraffe from the bookcase on the kitchen counter. And I said, let's pretend that that's my God. That's not a God. I said, yeah, I know, but it is. So what I did is I was bowing down to it, and I was kissing the statue, and I was worshiping it, and I was pretending to pray to it. And I go to her, and I says, what can that God do for me? And she says, that thing can do nothing for you. I said, there you got it, sister. A five-year-old, she got it. And I said, what happened was God got mad, and he would get mad at me if I started praying to this thing and talking to it instead of him. And that's what Israel did. They got down and they were worshiping and they were praising and worshiping a cow, not even a real cow, a metal cow. And she said, that cow can do nothing. I said, you got it, sister. She was smarter than several thousand people. Amen? So so I want to look at the man named Moses. And, And there is a place to get righteous anger, but then there is an anger that's fleshly. And where the line is, I I don't know. Okay, so let's look at this. First, we're talking about uh, Moses. And I just want to show you, we're talking about a child of God. I'm not just talking about people out there. 
I want to talk about people that are written and recorded in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, with five citations. Now, the first one I don't really credit to him because that's his mom and dad, but the other four are definitely his. Let's look at those. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months. How much input did he have into that? Nothing. That was the faith of mom and dad. Okay? So let's go to the next one. 24, this is Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called Pharaoh's son, daughter, and choosing rather to suffer affliction than with the people of God. He chose a rugged life versus the cushy life. And that was an act of faith. And he's recorded in Hebrews 11. In 27, it says, by faith, he forsook evil, I'm sorry, Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So he actually bucked the king, Pharaoh. Okay, that was a faithful act. And 28 says, through faith, he kept the Passover. And he killed the lamb and he sprinkled it and he did all the observances. And then the best one of all is by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as they dry, dry, dry land. But it says, by faith, they. Now remember when those Israelites came up to the Red Sea? It says, they faith, but it wasn't their faith. It was Moses' faith. Because when he got up there, they looked to the north and they saw a garrison and they looked to the south and they saw a garrison and they looked behind them and they saw an army battling down and they looked to the right and there was a river and they said, Moses, you are the worst strategic general we ever had in our life. You're gonna kill us. And he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And it was one person's faith that delivered a whole nation. That's pretty good faith. So that's who we're talking about. And you know what? We're going to talking about his pastoring after all these events happened. So chronologically speaking, we're on the other side of these. So how does this work? So the first account I want to go to is in Exodus 32. I'm going to read seven. I'm going to read about half a dozen verses or so. This is after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Yes? And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf. There's um, Mary's metal cow. And have worshipped it and sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Man, I wish they had a five-year-old little girl to set them straight back then. That metal cow did you nothing, right? And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make, them, make thee a great nation. Now, I never really understood that verse, and I was thinking, you know, I don't know exactly what God has in man. This is purely speculation. I'm going off of scripture and I'm talking Dolph speculation. I admit it. But I don't know if it was through Moses' loins where he was going to start a brand new country. I don't know exactly what it has in mind. That's kind of way with the word. But it looks like God was ready to do a do-over. I'm ready to wipe these people. I'm tired of them. I go to verse 11. This is still Exodus 32. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth the wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against the people. Now I want you to notice there, 
it calls what the punishment was evil. It's not evil in the sake of being the opposite of righteousness. It is evil because it's going to hurt and be painful. God is not an evil God. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot break his covenants. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, as as this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, that they shall inherit forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Once again, the word repent means to turn. And he turned from the punishment or the sentence that he had issued for Israel. And that's what he did. But I want you to notice from this case, there is a case where there was disobedience and God got angry. This time, Moses was the intercessor. You want a minister that's going to be an intercessor. It's interesting. The verse that's kind of dear to our family, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, it said, God sought for a man to stand between God and the people, the people of the land. Notice that. He did not say, look for a man to stand between the enemy and the people of the land. He looked for a man to stand between God and the people of the land. Wow, but he couldn't find one. That's what you want here. That's what exactly what Moses is doing right here. He's standing between God and the people of the land. Okay. Let's go to the second event. The second event is recorded in Numbers 16. Now, it covers this whole chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's pretty long. I'm going to read kind of bits and pieces. I'm always afraid of when I do this, I'm cherry picking. It's your job to go home and read the whole chapter, make sure I'm not taking things out of context. But I'm just doing this out of a expediency. Verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, and I'm going to skip these names just to save a little time. Verse 2 says, And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spake unto Korah and unto all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. So here's a group of people, and it says, Moses, you think you're too big for your britches. Again, Moses was a man called by God. He was commanded by God. He was issued by God, and Moses was obeying God to the best of his abilities, right? And the people said, nope, it's too much. We want some of that. Let's go skip down to verse 15. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect now their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one. And Moses said to Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron and tomorrow. And take every man his censer and put incense in them and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, thou also and Aaron and each of you his censer. 
And they took every man a censer and put fire in them and laid incense thereon and stood at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. He says, okay, y'all want to worship? I'll give you an opportunity to worship. Get your censers, get your fire. And it wasn't the Lord's fire. It was their fire. They put it before the Lord. And he says, okay, let's let's see you worship the way you want and let's see how that's going to turn out. And again, I'm skipping another dozen or so verses, but I'm going to go down to 31 and let's find out what happened. And it came to pass as he made an end of the speaking of all the words that the ground clave asunder them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel were round about them fled at the cry of them and they said lest the earth swallow up us up also and there came out a fire from the lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense in other words both of them were mad god and moses was angry okay looks like moses is in god's will here let's jump forward to a case where moses isn't in god's will and i'm telling you try to read it from the view of a pastor moses what's the difference How often do I cross that line? The third account I want to read from Moses' life is in Numbers 20. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin. In the first month of the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died and was buried there. Let me set the, the, the setting here. If you know Israel had been wandering around in the wilderness for a while, and there was one time where they got really, really thirsty, and they said, give us some water, and God, got, or God said, talk to Moses, and he says, smoke the rock, and the wa- enough water came out of that rock where they fed, oh, close to a million people and all their livestock. That's a lot of water out of one little rock. Amen? So what happened was, is a little bit of time went by, and you know what? They got thirsty again. Verse 2, Numbers 20 and verse 2. And there was no water for the congregation. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? They were slaves. And God delivered them. Amen? And they were thirsty, and God delivered them. And they were hungry, and God delivered them. And then they got thirsty again. And they said, what good is God doing us if we're going to die out here in our livestock too? Verse 5. And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? And again, it's evil because it's dry. It's not evil because Satan is there, even though he's in their hearts. Right? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the Lord, door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Numbers 20 and verse 7, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before the eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drinks. And Moses took the rock from before the Lord, and he commanded him. 
Okay, so he's, he's obeying God, right? But notice what happens. Verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hands, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Everything looks perfect, right? They wanted water, they got water. But what happened? Moses lost his cool. He got frustrated. He lost his cool. And notice what happened. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. I want you to notice something. The congregation never made it to the promised land. They all died. Moses never made it to the promised land. He got to see it, but he never made it. Who won? No one won. Who won? Satan won. Satan's the only one that won. He hit a rock, and the anger he felt in the other cases was justified. But this is what you're holding over Moses? Lord, I don't I don't know. I want to finish well. I don't know where the line is. Do you understand? But I think there's a difference between righteous anger and fleshly anger. Righteous anger is okay and approved by the Lord, but fleshly anger is not. Do you remember when Jesus got angry in the temple? Righteous anger because they were offending God, not because they were hurting him. Do you understand? That's somewhere of heading in the right direction in my mind. The minister's job is to... Preach the word, which is the commandments, the rebukes, the charges, the um, the exhortations, but it's also to comfort and to encourage. He's supposed to do both. It's supposed to be balanced. But there's a story I want to read you, and it's on the back page if you want to flip it over. It's one that I've used before on a student. I'm trying to think. About five or six years ago, I had a student, and in the school where I taught, uh, it was a small school, so often I would have, you know, from 8th to 12th grade, it's not uncommon for me to have them for five out of those six years. No, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Four out of five years, sorry. And it's not uncommon. And there was this one young man that I had, and when I first started teaching him, I was taller than him. And when he graduated, he was way taller than me. That's how long I taught him. But he started off, and he said, Mr. Painter... I'm dumb. I can't do math. Can't do it. And I worked with him, and I worked with him, and he was starting to have a little bit of excess, but he was still using that language. And then what happened was, is uh, I stopped hearing the phrase, I'm dumb, I can't do math. And then I had him in a geometry class. Well, but geometry is a different animal than algebra, and he was getting an A in my class. And he was actually walking around and he had confidence and his chest was trotted out just a little bit. But all of a sudden a concept came up about November and he said, I can't do it. First time I heard that, those words from him in like in a year and a half. And I went over to him and I opened up the grade book and I said, you're pulling an A in my class. I said, I don't ever want to hear these words from you again. Well, 
he ended up doing well, and he did through class, and I had him in 12th grade. And at the school we're at, you pick a senior and you give a, a charge to when they graduate. And I had the honor of doing Emory when he was there, but I got this young man. And this is the story I read to him. And I gave him a book. It was a marine biologist book on catfish. That was his gift. Let me read this. This is not mine. The follow credit was adapted from Brad Moore's column. It was entitled, Is There a Catfish in Your Life? Which he adapted from a Charles Swindoll story. Okay? But I'll tell you what. This came out in December of 2019. I believe I already given that charge. So I actually heard it first from Paul Harvey on his radio broadcast, The Rest of the Story. So it's a story that's been around for a while. But let me read it to you. This is, and I adapted it. I don't have this whole article here but for, for expedience. I've, I've paraphrased a little bit. In Northeast United States, the sale of codfish is a big industry. There is a huge market for codfish all over the Northeast. But not just the East Coast, but also other areas further inland. The fisheries desired to meet this potential demand, but had to overcome a major problem. How to get the codfish inland, or travel great distances, while maintaining wonderful flavor and texture. In other words, how could they deliver the same product inland that coastal customers have grown to know and love? Fisheries began to experiment with different ways of shipping cod. They shipped the cod frozen, but discovered freezing took away much of the natural flavor. So they tried shipping the cod alive. They equipped trucker trucks with seawater tanks. The results of this effort was worse than freezing. The codfish still lost its favor. The texture of the fish was seriously affected. It was mushy. And live shipping was more expensive. No one would eat an expensive, mushy, tasteless entree. Then someone thought outside the box. Reachers looked at how cod lived and survived in the ocean. They looked into natural things of the life of a codfish to see if they could find any answer there. They found that cod have a natural agitator, the catfish. Based on the words of these marine biologists, shippers included live catfish with their cod's saltwater tanks. So from the time the cod were shipped from the point of origin to the destination, cantankerous Catfish chased the cod all over the tank. Something amazing happened. The cod arrived at its destination just as fresh when they had first been caught. They lost no favor, nor was their texture affected. The answer to the business problem had been solved. Ship cod with its protagonist, and the cod arrived healthy, tasty, and strong. So here's the young man, and I'm giving it, and I read him this thing, and I gave him a book on catfish. And I said, I've been your catfish for the last five years. I said, look for a catfish. Well, basically, if you would read some of the things that Paul did read, 1 Corinthians, you know what he was? He was a catfish. Read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel, read any of the minor prophets. You know what they were? They were catfishes, right? Did he make them taste better? To God, right? He made the incense smell better. Amen? So that's the job. And it's really hard to know. Again, I'm going from Moses' second experience to Moses' second, third experience. 
If you're doing it for God's glory, you're doing it the right way. If you're doing it because you're getting irritated, you're doing it the wrong way. But you know what? The man of God will do it. I want to read one more passage in, inclu- in conclusion. And the reason why I'm grabbing this one, this is one that's often quoted, and I say out of context, even among our folks. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, we've heard, we hear that a lot. But let's read the rest of the story. Ask for the old paths. And I'm going to say here, the old paths is not the way Grandpa did it. The old paths is the word of God. You go back and you read the first 15 verses and you'll see, thus saith the Lord. That's the old paths. Because he doesn't change. He's the same person. And what he's been asking his ministers to do in the day of Adam, or not Adam, Abel. Abel was the first minister. From Adam all the way to before Jesus Christ comes back, he's the same, and he's going to ask his ministers to do the same thing. Ask for the old past, the word of God. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. So I went to, I'm doing my best not to say his hand. It's almost slipped out three times. I went to him, and I said, Brother, I said, I know you. You are going to need a catfish in your life. And I got news for you. Don't make it your wife because it'll come off as nagging. But you need a catfish. Why? Because your life will be better. Now, there's a difference between a nag and a catfish. Also, I set watchmen over you. No, no, I skipped something. There's rest for your souls. But they said... We will not walk therein. I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. This is Jeremiah talking to Israel, and they said, we ain't going to do it. Also, I said, watchmen over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. Those are pagans. No, those are Israel. Therefore, hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people. Again, evil is not sin. It's the punishment. It's the sentence. Even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. To what purpose cometh there, cometh there to me incense from Sheba? And the sweet came from a far country. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, your sacrifices, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. I would rather have obedience than sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what God is saying. Right? No matter how holy you think you are, no matter what you've conjured up in your mind, if it doesn't comply with the word of God, you need to fix it. Right? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers of the sons together shall fall upon them, and the neighbors and his friends shall perish. Y'all, the end of that route's not very good. To reject God's word and to not listen to his commandments 
And the punishment is, as God says, I will lay stumbling blocks, you're going to fall, and some of you are going to perish. Now, again, I look at this thing and I think, wow, that was Israel. And then hundreds of years later, a hundred years later, Judah replayed the story. And we can go a couple thousand years later, and I think America's replaying the story a third time. And try preaching that in this woke culture. But you know what? I was called to preach it. Amen? And that's what keeps me doing it. So, maybe you don't call me Brother Painter. Maybe you need to start calling me Brother Catfish. (laughs) I'm sure my kids over the years have thought I was a catfish. Right? But the difference is, is the anger a righteous anger? Or is it a fleshly anger? And that's where I covet your prayers to know the difference. It's easy to get frustrated and fall in the flesh and just hit a rock instead of speaking to it. God, of all the things that I've done wickedly that you've forgiven me, I'm thinking, what if I do that? No, not what if I do it. It's when I do that. Amen? May the Lord bless us. Thank you.